John 17 contains the prayer that Jesus prayed on the night before he was arrested and the next day crucified. Mark chapter 6, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6 contains what's referred to as the Lord's Prayer. That could really be called the Disciples' Prayer. Because in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching us, his disciples, on how to pray. But this, John 17, contains the actual words of Jesus as he is praying. Now keep in mind, this is the night before he is executed. It's amazing to read this. Because you'll see the majority of the prayer is not focused on himself. Now we know from the other Gospels that Jesus did pray, Lord, if there's any way for this cup to be taken from me, let it. But your will, not my will, be done. But apparently that's only the tip of the iceberg of the prayer. <coughs> Excuse me. In this, Jesus prays specifically for his disciples. And not just those who were walking with him. He prays for us. He prays for you. He prays for me. Now think about all the things you would pray for if you knew the next day you were to meet God. <coughs> Pardon me. No doubt you may pray for strength to endure. You may pray for your immediate family. But Jesus goes well beyond that in praying, not just for those immediate disciples, but for those who would come because of their preaching. Now, there are a lot of themes that are, are woven throughout this chapter. This is not Jesus teaching with a, a structured outline. This is, this is Jesus pouring out His heart. And as He's praying, you'll notice the prayer, it, it comes back to several recurring things. One is that of sanctification. He prays for us to be set apart, to be holy. And He also prays for us to be unified. Now those two things go together. To be sanctified is to be unified, and we're going to explore that a bit more this, this morning. But for this purpose of preparing for Wednesday night and thinking about unity, I want to draw your attention to verse 11 and then to verses 20 through 23. John 17, 11, Jesus prays. I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, if you will, look over to verses 20 through 23. Jesus continues praying. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, 
I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we ask for your help this morning in not just understanding the words of Jesus, but in applying them. Father, we would all agree that to be unified is good, that it is your will. But Father, we, ought, we confess to you that living that is difficult. Help us, Father, to do this. Help us to put this into practice. Help us to seek your will that we might be sanctified and that we might truly be one. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Comedian. Emo Phillips told a story of a conversation he struck up one day with a gentleman he just met. Somehow as they were getting to know one another, the issue of religion came up. And so Emo asked the person, are you Protestant or Catholic? This man said, well, I'm Protestant. Emo was excited. So he said, me too. What franchise? The man answered, Baptist. Emo says, me too. What type? Northern or Southern Baptist? The friend, new friend replied, well, Northern Baptist. Emo is real excited now. Me too, he shouts. And they continued going back and forth until finally Emo Phillips asked, now are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist, Great Lakes Region, Council of 1879, or... Are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? The man replied, well, I'm Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. To which Emo Phillips looked at him and said, die you heretic. <laughs> now, the absurdity of that points out the tragedy, doesn't it? The tragedy of disunity in the church. Sadly, we're all familiar with that, whether it's been, whether we've been a part of churches that have been fractured. We all know relationships that have been broken, friendships that have been severed. We know the pain of what happens when disunity occurs, when oneness is broken, because deep down we know that that is not the way things ought to be. So Jesus, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, to be resurrected and then to ascend. Because notice in verse 11, he says, I am coming to you. God, I'm coming to you. He prays for our unity. Because Jesus knows that if Satan can get a body of believers fighting with one another, disagreeing with one another, severing relationships, Satan knows he's won a victory. And indeed, far too often, we meet people who have simply washed their hands of the gospel saying, I don't want any part of that because they have witnessed too many believers who simply will not seek reconciliation. So Jesus prays for this. He prays for us. You see, he was walking with the disciples. He could correct them. He could say, Peter, don't, don't do that. John and James, you all get along. Bartholomew, what were you thinking? Come on now, work it out. But now he's not going to be here physically. So he beseeches God to 
to work. He beseeches his heavenly Father to keep his followers united. So this morning as we talk about oneness, I want us to answer really three questions. These are up on the screen so you can follow the outline. Because as I said, Jesus flows back and forth. As you look up on the screen, if you'll go to the next slide, please. Notice the first thing I want us to deal with is what does being one mean? What are we talking about when we talk about unity? Second thing I want us to look at is why is being one important? Why is this something that we really must take seriously and work toward? And then finally, how do we do this? How do we become one? What is God expecting me and what is He expecting you to do to fulfill this? So let's start with this first. What does this mean? Usually when we think about unity and oneness within the congregation, we may think in terms of mission or values. And those things are, are not incorrect. Our mission gives us unity. Our values give us unity. But I find it interesting that that is not where Jesus goes when He prays for unity. He doesn't say, Lord, unite them around the cause. Look instead of what Jesus holds up as our model for understanding unity. Look at the end of verse 11. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one. So that's the purpose for which God will keep us, that we will be one. But look at the next phrase. Even as we are one. He continues this theme in verse 21. Notice how verse 21 begins. That they may all be one. So here's the purpose of his prayer. That they may be one. Now look at the model for our oneness. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, he carries on the same model. The same standard. The same definition of oneness. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. This is not a call to a cause. This is not a oneness based upon just sheer purpose. This is a oneness that goes much deeper to that, dealing with who we are at the very core of our being. He says the model for our oneness is nothing less than the Trinity. That's what we are to attain to. That just as Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct yet one, so we are also individuals but are bonded together in a unity that goes far deeper than just mere purpose or values or mission. Those are part of it, but they flow out of the oneness we have because of the Spirit of God dwelling within us. Our unity is on truly a spiritual level. I think of it in terms of like a four-part harmony. If I'd thought ahead enough, I would have loved to have talked with Tony and gotten a tight barbershop quartet up here so we could hear some of that good, tight harmonies. Mm -mm. Do you know what makes a good group? It's not that they're all using the same music. That certainly helps. It's not that each knows their part, although that is invaluable. You see, you can get people that know the music and know the parts, but they just don't mesh. It's like a, a sports team when you may, have, you may have all the talented, 
all the talented athletes you can, but they still don't win. And you think, what's going on here? They have all the talent in the world because there's an intangible there. There is something that binds a good quartet together in harmony that goes beyond the music, goes beyond just the sheet music, goes beyond the voices. It is the music itself, something in their heart that binds them together that makes beautiful music. So it is with us. It is within us the Spirit of God that binds us because church if we have all been adopted into the family of God guess what we are indeed brothers and sisters and it is a bond that is spiritually that is organically based because of what God has done within us we share the unity of family we share the unity the brotherhood of those who have gone into battle why because our victory is in the Lord Jesus who has conquered sin death and hell and we are indeed the warriors who have conquered because of Jesus Christ so you see our unity is much more much more than purpose much more than just mission a church that is ununified is denying the Trinity now think about the gravity of that statement we would say if you met a believer who professed to follow Christ and denied the Trinity we'd say that truly is heretical the tragedy is that while we may not deny the Trinity with our mouths, when we live in disunity, we're denying the Trinity with our actions. Because He is praying, let them be one as we are one. So that's what unity is. That's what Satan wants to attack. He wants the church to misrepresent God. And so if Satan can sow seeds of discord that bear fruit in fractions and fighting, he's done what he wants. So our unity is much deeper. This unity is crucial. Now we move to why. Why is this important? Why should we not just get frustrated and throw up our hands? Well, the reason we shouldn't is because there's a lot weighing upon our unity. The first is this. Unity is crucial for us to be holy in this world. Unity is crucial for us to be holy in this world. Notice how Jesus prays in verse 11. Father, I'm coming to you. But he doesn't just say, Father. This is the only time in the Gospels where Jesus says, Holy Father. Now remember that part of what Jesus is praying is that you and I would be holy and be sanctified. You see this clearly in verse 17. Although we didn't read it, look down at it. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In other words, set them apart in this world. So our lives are to be marked by a holiness that reflects who God is and is to be lived out in a world that is fighting against that very truth. Now, sanctification and unity go together. You see, when we hear holiness, we think of, of only moral purity. And that's, that's accurate. We should think of that. But here the holiness goes to how are we distinct from the world around us? How many of us would agree that we live in a nation that is marked by political division? How many of us would agree that we live in a nation that is marked by, by racial division? How many of us would say we live in a nation that is often marked by families that are divided? Absolutely. 
I find it very interesting that if you read Roman philosophers just prior to the time of Jesus Christ, you know what they were complaining about? A government that was divided that accomplished nothing. They were complaining about disunity within the empire, and they were complaining about families that were being fractured. There is nothing new under the sun because those are Satan's tools. So we are agreeing that our nation is fractured, severed, and broken. Guess what? We are to be holy and separate because when people come to the church, they experience that which is whole, that which is healing, that which is undivided. That where there is racial healing, racial division, this is the place where we model what true unity is about. That this is the place where we show them. And that is why Jesus prays, Lord, unify them. And it's not just in our witness to the world. It is important because it strengthens us. There is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. There is no such thing. If Satan can isolate you to move you away from worshiping with believers, from being involved in one another's lives, he has taken a large first step toward weakening your faith and watering it down so you will not be seeking God. I meet people frequently who will say, well, I can worship God wherever I am. And they're accurate. You should. You should worship God. But their point is this. They're saying, I don't need church. But understand, you should and can worship God on your own. But you cannot be an obedient believer to God without being a part of a local body of Christ. I say that based on what Jesus prayed here. Let them be one. Them. Satan wants to isolate us. He wants to weaken our faith. I was struck in reading an excerpt from a book by a man by the name of Eric Greitens. It's called Resilience. Eric served our nation as a Navy SEAL. He writes leadership lessons based upon that experience, going through what many recognize as one of the toughest units in our armed forces. He writes a lot about what's called Log Week. You'll see it upon pictures upon the screen that I just pulled from online. If you'll pull up the next slide please. During this period, soldiers are grouped, potential Navy SEALs in groups of seven, and they are given their new best friend, a 150-pound log that they are to carry with them everywhere. They pick up the log, and they run with the log. Sometimes they run with the log held over their heads. Sometimes they run with it on their shoulders. Sometimes they run with it by their sides, and they will run up 15 feet a foot high sand dunes. They will run into the ocean with their log. They will sit down in the ocean with their log and they will stand up with their log. They will run back on the beach with their log and drop their log and they will pick up their best friend and begin running some more. And all the while there is a kind gentle man called a drill officer that's shouting words of encouragement at them in kind, gentle tones. Eric says one of the most difficult things about this is not the weight that you don't know how long you'll be carrying it. And he said, inevitably, inevitably, one or two things happens. They're carrying this weight. And over time, you can imagine, it gets heavy. He said, inevitably, either the seven-man crew will start doubting one another. Somebody will start grumbling. Somebody's not pulling their weight. It's getting heavy up here. What are you doing back there? I knew you all were slackers. That seven-man group will become angry with each other, divided, and they won't last. 
The other thing that happens is on the other side where the crew comes together. They figure out how to work together. They encourage one another. In fact, Eric wrote, he said, we collectively had the log cradled in the crook of our elbows and my biceps and shoulders and back were burning. And I remember thinking, if these guys weren't here right now, I'd probably stop. I wouldn't believe I could go on. But these guys are keeping on right beside me. So I guess I can go on too. They find encouragement. When the weight of the world begins to press upon the church, we need one another to bear that weight. So well, we've got the Spirit of God. Yes, we do. But if you take a lot of people filled with the Spirit of God coming together, there is a synergy there that in many ways is inexplicable. We need one another to be sanctified in this world to show the truth of the gospel. And that's the second reason why unity is important. Our unity testifies to either the truth or the falsity of the gospel. Our actions show that it's either true or it's not. Notice at the end of verse 21. Jesus says, let them be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Look at verse 23. I and them that, and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Church, we are a living, breathing advertisement for the gospel. When we profess the gospel that, that reconciles, we are to be people of reconciliation. When we profess the gospel that is one of love, we are to be people of love. When we profess the gospel of truth, we are to be people of truth. Our lives either verify the truth of the gospel or they show the gospel to be false. That's why it's important. Many of you are aware that my oldest daughter and her husband are in China right now they're teaching at a university there for a year and I remember when she first got there I called her and one of the first questions I had which shows my priorities was this have you eaten any good sweet and sour chicken there that's my go-to at a Chinese restaurant sweet and sour chicken she laughed at me can you believe that she said dad they don't serve sweet and sour chicken here what Every Chinese restaurant I've been in here in America, which are the only Chinese restaurants I've been in, serves sweet and sour chicken. She said, Dad, they don't serve that in China. Sweet and sour chicken is just fried chicken with sauce on it. So you're telling me that's not an authentic Chinese food? That's right, Dad. They don't serve that here. And I felt lied to. What do you mean it's not Chinese food? Like I said, every Chinese restaurant I've been in serves it. No, it's not authentic. When we profess the gospel, church, we are to show a living demonstration of it. People should not walk away from being involved in a group of believers and say, there's nothing to that gospel. They shouldn't walk away and say, whatever they have there, I can get down at the Kiwanis Club. There should be something unique about a body of believers. Why? Because our unity is from the Spirit of God and because of the truth of the gospel. Our lives are a sign advertising that truth. So how do we live that? If we've, seen, we've seen what it is. We've seen why it's important. How do we do it? Because it's hard. 
We're different people. Different backgrounds, different personalities. Our unity is the gospel, but we are still working through that process of sanctification, which means there will be times of disagreement. Believe it or not, there will be times where other Christians will get on your nerves. I know that's a shocker. So the question is, how do we handle that? There will be times where we become disappointed in one another. Where someone will let us down. That's, that's going to happen. Well, the first thing I think we come back to is the why. Our unity is important, so that means we work toward it. But we work based upon the work of God. So we rely upon His name because look back to verse 11. Notice what Jesus said. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them that they may be one. So the result of God keeping us is unity. So one, we go about being unified relying upon God. Relying upon Him because He is at work. That idea of keep means, Lord, keeping them near to you. Keeping them loyal to you. Preserving them in the faith, God. It is connected to sanctification. So we rely upon the Lord by abiding in Him. But now here's the thing. Relying upon the Lord does not absolve us of our responsibilities. How does the Lord keep us? Once again, I draw your attention to verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How does the Lord work to keep us? The Scripture. Yes, His Spirit is working within us, but His Spirit is going to draw us to the Scripture. So in the Scripture, we read of what God desires for us to do and to be as His followers. So how do we go about this? Well, it becomes crucial as we rely upon the Lord, we abide in Christ. That language is used in verses 21 and 22 where he says that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. And then in verse 22 he says, the glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. That's the language of abiding. Now the way we abide in Christ is obedience. So, the Father's working. He's given us His Word. Through His Word, He works to keep us one and sanctified. And we abide in Christ. And notice, not only has He given us His Word, by which the Father keeps us, but in verse 22, He says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. The glory of God is the character of God. Church, we have been given the character of God. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all relational words. The Spirit is within us. Drawing us to work toward being one. When you get right down to it, what that means is you and I need to live out the gospel in relation to each other. To forgive one another. To understand one another. I think a lot of times if we just took a moment to really stop and to listen and give grace to each other, we could overcome a lot of things that divide. I've been reading a lot about a golfer from the middle part of the 20th century, a man by the name of Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan to this day is still known as one of the greatest golfers ever. They said he could strike a golf ball and hit four or five of them. They would land within two feet of each other. 
But if I'm to be totally honest, when you read about Ben Hogan's life, you find out one thing. The man was a jerk. He was surly. He was angry. He was known for not talking on the golf course. Not saying a word with people he was playing with. One guy came off after playing with Hogan and said, Man, Ben was talkative today. And they went, Really? What did he say? Yeah, on the 17th green he said, You're away. That was it. You'd look at that and say, Why would anybody want to be around that? Until you read a little further and you find out something about his life. Hogan idolized his dad. When Ben Hogan was eight years old, his dad walked into a bedroom. About a minute later, Ben followed his father into that bedroom just in time to watch his father commit suicide. He witnessed it as an eight-year-old. I think that would make a person very it would make a person one that is very hard to trust people. To be guarded, to not open up because of the pain. But something changed in his life. There was an event that changed him. After 1949, Ben Hogan was a different man. He talked more, he signed autographs, he was actually funny. What happened? Two things. One, he, he and his wife were involved in a wreck that almost killed him. And in the recovery time of that wreck, after that wreck, he received an outpouring of love, cards. And he was really surprised to find out that people actually cared about him. What changed him was this. One, he recognized he was mortal. Life was short. Church, life is too short to carry around bitterness. It's too short to carry around hatred. It's too short to carry around divisions that could be worked out by simply talking with one another. The other thing that changed him was love. To know a love that he was cared for. Relationships can be difficult, but they are worth it. And that is what Jesus prayed for. So think about it like this. If we are not working toward unity, we are working contrary to God's will. We're fighting against God. And He will not be pleased nor really bless that. Now I know that anytime I preach on relationships, there are a thousand different qualifications, different situations that have occurred. But I, just, I would ask you this. Have you done what you can to work it out? The book of Romans says, as much as is up to you, live at peace with one another. You are not responsible for what another person does. But you are responsible for what you do. When we reach out and try to reconcile, the other person may rebuff that. But we can, with a clear conscience, say, Lord, I am willing and I want to. It's in your hands. To that end, I ask you to bow your heads with me right now.